This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello, and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for The Pulse. How's it going, Miles? It's going well, Andrew. How are you doing? It's going well for me as well. <laughs> uh, I, I love the energy today. We were bopping along to the music as we as we got ready to record. This is exciting. I'm I'm powered by Euro. I I had a the Wally's Wiener Wagon Euro for lunch. Oh yeah, I, I had them last summer. I haven't stopped over there yet, but uh, good food. Very yeah, good I went food. up and saw them at the Max Bar. Oh yeah, Max Walton. So I think they're just starting getting like their food truck thing going over going on over there mm-hmm. I, I mistakenly grabbed a bag of green beans not the bag of indian food that i had <laughs> or not green beans uh black beans oh. so not not as much of a good lunch option so i had to go out again yeah, a bowl full of black beans yeah i mean i love black beans but that would that would have been bad for me not as the, the main course <laughs> yes. right? but no, yeah they were they were doing some of the um still sprucing up that backyard area there at max so See how that progresses and what they end up doing with that. Yeah, uh, it should be very exciting. If you listen to the episode that I did with Dave yesterday, kind of a weekend primer of sorts, uh, we talked a little bit about Max and how they're going to be featuring just a, a ton of really cool food all summer long. It's going to be like a rotating menu of featured chefs, food trucks, food experiences, all sorts of yeah. cool stuff. Uh, and that's also where the Beer Fest is going to be this year yes, as well. Yeah. So if if you're not stopping over there for food yet, but you are coming to the Beer Fest, of which there are just a couple tickets left. Yeah, not many left. You'll get to experience Max as well when that kicks off. And we won't, uh, this year for the Beer Fest, we won't sell them on site because just for planning purposes, we don't want to have an extra 200 people show up. So right. we're, we have a cap number and yeah, we're down to less than... Less than 50 for sure. Yeah. If, uh, if you're listening to this and you want your tickets, you can go to doorcountytickets.com, correct? Correct. All right. Miles, it is Memorial Day weekend. There's a lot of stuff going on. Before we finally, you know, hang up our hats and head out and enjoy the weekend, <laughs> uh, let's go over a little bit of what people can find in the paper this week. Sure. Uh, quite an issue. I know when Dave slapped it down on my desk yesterday, the first thing I thought was, wow, that's a heavy paper. Yeah. <laughs> we are, we had a lot of really good content in the paper this week. Uh, yeah. It's a, it's one of our largest issues since the pandemic began. Right. And like, as Dave slapped it down, he goes, well, I guess we'll find out what this is going to cost to mail this week because right. we eat that cost as, as the paper gets bulkier and we now send to every mailbox in the County. That's 25 thousand copies this week yeah that's a, a little more mailing cost for us <laughs> yeah well let's jump into it there's just a, a couple things that i wanted to talk about this week uh i let's start with the piece that patty wrote about curtis mickelson who is a veteran i think it's important as we you know look forward to the weekend and all the cool stuff that's going on to remember also why we get monday off and and what the holiday is about uh so walk me through this story from what i understand not only was it interesting but it also came to us in an interesting way too correct yeah, I mean, people send us story suggestions all the time, and a lot of them end up in the paper. A lot of them end up in the discard bin, or uh, there's a huge stack that are in my, I'm going to get to that someday pile. But this was an odd one, because it just came with the subject line, Sister Bay Son, and as an S-O-N. And as I opened it up, I'm like, okay, is this a spam thing? Is this somebody looking to get like a, a paid link on our website or something? We get a lot of those. 
And it turned out it was from a guy named Charles Wright, who was a Navy Air Force veteran, who he, the, the, the gist of his email was just that um, he had come across his old scrapbooks and was found that he knew, and he came across our website, and he knew a gentleman who was killed who was from Sister Bay, and he figured maybe a lot of people didn't know uh, about this veteran um, who was killed back in 1951. His name was Curtis Mickelson. He went to Gibraltar High School. He went to actually grew up and went to Appleport School, which is uh, roughly a block from my house on the corner of uh, Old Stage Road and Double Z. And in, back in the era of the one-room schoolhouse. And he was out on a training mission over the Atlantic, stationed in Virginia during the Korean War, and at a time when the Cold War tensions were really heightened, and a lot of what the a lot of our focus was on locating Russian submarines, assuming they were going to be off the coast, and we had to know where they were, and contain like that Cold War threat. And during these training runs, you'd go at night, and you had to be a really talented pilot. And there's little danger in it too, because you'd fly close to the the, the ocean just using like your flight instruments. And now I'm no pilot, so I'm probably mangling this. But in any case, he crashed while doing one of these training runs as a, a submarine was surfacing. Um, and it was a U.S. submarine. Like I said, it was training. But he crashed. He was killed along with four other um, airmen in that. And then Charles Wright knew him. And he had been sitting back at the base waiting to be the next to go out and relieve them. He thought, okay, they're going to do their two to three hour run. Then I go out at three in the morning and I do my two to three hour run. And instead of relieving them, he ended up having to lead the search for them. So he was dropping flares over the ocean to try and help people locate the bodies of these missing airmen. And this is 51 years ago. And he sends me this email 70 years later. And um, he still thinks about Curtis Mickelson and the guys who were lost that night. Hmm. Yeah. Kind of a, like a, a lost veteran story in that way. Right. Sure. And, and one of the things that Charlie, we ended up exchanging a bunch of emails um, Patty Williamson, who does, she is somebody who you put her on her story and she will, she loves to research this stuff, loves to dig up the history. Yeah. She talked to a lot of people who knew Curtis Mickelson in high school, plus some descendants and family members to try and, um, piece together his life. I mean, he would have been about 90, just the age of Charles right now. And one thing Charles said that was really poignant to me is that he, he still thinks often of like all the things he's done in his life. He ended up working for NASA, um, he had kids who ended up having careers of their own, and he just thinks of the ripple effect of that, of his life going on, and then his kids' life, and what his kids have impacted. And all of that has happened in those 70 years since that night, and Curtis Mickelson's story ended that night. Yeah. Just abruptly gone, and left behind a, a wife and a daughter. Um, and you, it's just kind of, you know, what some of his classmates in high school at that time, Bill Birchinger, still around now and has been at the Alpine for the last, for those 70 years. Right. Um, Bill Bastian, who was a fixture in Sister Bay for decades. And, you know, Curtis Mickelson was just gone. And so it was, it was neat to, to get that email and to have a chance to tell a story of that and, and really think about the impact of when, when these young men and women sign up for the armed for- forces that loss is felt in so many ways that I guess felt is the wrong word. Maybe like there are losses that we don't know that we don't feel when those people die that I wouldn't think of Curtis as a contemporary of mine by any means, or like somebody who impacted my life. But I think of those other names 
the Bill Bastions, the Bill Birchingers, and, and gentlemen like that, Marston Anderson, all people from his class that I've gotten to know and and meet and have great conversations with in my life. And who knows, Curtis Mickelson might have been one of those people. Yeah, uh, especially when you think about you know the the next team out, basically, right? Turning into a search party to find, yeah, uh, like that could any one of those people could have been yeah. in that first part. So, like Charlie said, he's he's like you know not degrading the pilots on Curtis's flight, but he's like whenever he would run into the guy who was his pilot at that time because he was not the the lead pilot, but he said I always thanked him because it was just by luck that I'm with him and another airman's with somebody else. That plane crashes, mine never does. And I get to have this life. Right. You, you brought up Patty's knack for, for finding all this stuff. I'm always in awe when I read her history pieces because she often presents a complete timeline oh, of events <laughs> from the very, like she'll, she'll pick, uh, she did a, a story on Coyote Roadhouse and it like began with the very first like deed transfer that ever happened in that property a hundred years ago or whatever. Like it, she always is able to find these, like these, this wealth of information that I think is super valuable too. Right. It's like, there are so many places that don't keep that history. Mm -hmm. And then Patty's able to find that history and preserve it in publication. So it, it's fascinating to to, to read her stuff. That stuff takes time too. You know, like I am stunned by it. Like I can't, put the same time into that level of detail in some of the background of the stories I do. I just don't have that time. I'm so glad we have a resource like Patty who just loves that stuff and digs in. And sometimes you you edit her stuff. I do too. The hardest thing is bringing it down to a space that fits in the paper because she she gets it all. She gets all the information that's out there. So um, thank you, Patty. I want to shift to uh, kind of another memorial as well. Bill Gunzel passed away recently, uh, and you had the opportunity to write uh, an in memoriam for him as well. Walk me through a little bit about Bill's life. I had the opportunity to meet him a couple of times, uh, and that was really great to be able to talk to him uh, and learn what I could about him while he was alive. But you obviously have, have dug in a little bit more about his life. So tell me a little bit about Bill. Yeah, well, you know, this is one of the things about writing in a small town. There's... It's kind of become my task to write most of the memoriams and uh, obituaries for, for people in our community. I consider that an incredible privilege. Uh, you know, it's pressure. It's hard to do to try and sum up somebody's life in a thousand words yeah. in a way that does it any sort of justice. Well, and impossible, too, yes. right? <laughs> and, but you want to do right by that person, right by the community, and then also, as best you can, right by the family. You know, the, any, any family is going to want you to write there's so much. I, I struggle with this with my writing my mom's obituary earlier this year. It's like there are all these things that seem so important to you, but what's what's important to the community at large? What are the most important things about their life that resonate? And it's really hard to do that. And with Bill, it was particularly hard because I'd grown up with his kids, knew them. So I'm writing about their father. And then I'm writing about a guy who I, I've grown to consider a friend myself as I've grown older and um, been involved in right on door county and, and other community things but mainly through right on door county where we both served on the board together and he's just such a an unassuming out of the spotlight kind of guy who privately was making incredible contributions to a ton of organizations up here including right on but also places like the peninsula school of art historical preservation efforts that he never put out in the public probably hate that we were talking about him right now especially in any sort of reverend way 
Not a guy who wanted buildings named after him. Not a guy who ever wanted credit, but just liked to do cool things. And as one person I talked to said, sometimes he would do stuff just to stick it to the man, just to to mess with the good old boys kind of thing, um, which I just loved. I mean, he's just such a nice guy. If you talk to Bill Gunzel, he was never the guy who was looking over your shoulder for somebody else to talk to. He, If he asked you a question, he actually wanted to know. If he asked you about your garden, he wanted to know how your garden was growing. <laughs> he was he was very serious that way. Yeah, in, in my very brief encounters with Bill, I, I came away with that sense of, of humbleness as well. Yeah. Um, even just in hearing his side of the story about Rydon and about his part in that, and then hearing your side of that story after the fact and going like, wow, he definitely downplayed how important he was <laughs> yeah. to that. So I... I, I definitely came across or came away from that as well. There was this great story about one of the residents at Right On going out to dinner with a kind of a friend of the organization who, Ralph Murray, who said like this person goes, oh, you know, that that gardener, what a swell guy, what a sweet guy and so helpful that the gardener and the lawnmower guy, just a great guy. And Ralph goes, gardener and lawnmower guy, who who is that? What is he like a, is he a kind of a lean older guy with a mustache? probably wearing jeans and a sweatshirt kind of thing. And she's like, yeah, that's him. That's him. He's like, yeah, yeah, he is the gardener, but he's, he's also kind of responsible for the fact that this place exists. Right. (laughs) And, and, but that's the great thing about Bill. I mean, there's, they're incredibly valuable and great people who donate money. Um, There are some who donate time, but to be the person who donated so much of the money, but also would go do the maintenance on the building and be there on a Saturday and, and be there doing all the little things. That's a, a pretty unique guy to find. Right. Uh, I definitely encourage people to to read that piece. Even if you haven't met Bill, he, he certainly was kind of a, a tentpole fixture in the community. So yeah, uh, he will be missed. And in the process of doing it, which I also love this, is when you talk about guys of Bill's generation, Bill was 74. Anyone in that like late 60s to early 80s range, that means they had formative years in the 1970s in Door County. And as you know from doing some of the interviews we've done, the 1970s Door County stories are the best stories. Yep. It's all all pranks all the time. <laughs> yeah, all pranks, all a little wild, all like probably not okay today, but you could get away with a lot more back then. And so anytime you get to do stories about those folks, you, you get a lot of stuff you can't put in print. Compare the 1970s to today just in terms of how much there is to do now. Uh, since there wasn't as much to do, you started making your own fun. Absolutely. And, and oftentimes that fun became as outlandish as it could possibly be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you're right. Anytime you get to talk to, to those folks and and unfortunately we're losing more and more of them so many of them every year uh but digger de groot was was my go-to for those stories yeah and he may be the biggest prankster of them all uh but yeah it's 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 an era that you know we're slowly losing opportunities to talk to those folks but uh i i I would hope that we've done a good enough job trying to capture as many of those stories as we could knowing that we'll never get them all well exactly and i feel really fortunate and I think you should too in coming to this job at that age where, you know, one day as your son Oliver grows up, you can pass on some of those stories because you've had, you've gotten them from the source. You've been on these photo, video shoots and interviews with guys like Bill Birchinger, Doug Bouchard, Digger, and others we've lost like Carson Tobelman, Rita Willems, these people who knew a county that's so much different. Like that's where that era is going to live on is through those stories and through those recordings and through their voices. And I feel really fortunate to have had the opportunity to to have those conversations and to be able to say in my life that 
either with, as a bartender, I feel like you can sort of ask anything as a bartender. And then also you can um, ply people with alcohol, which makes them tell you stuff that they wouldn't otherwise tell you. And then as a journalist, I can always ask questions and it's just my job. I'm not prying, you know? So right. um, I feel really fortunate to have the opportunity to to gather some of those stories and, and hear them firsthand. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's also amazing too, just how far back that knowledge goes. You brought up Bill Birchinger at Alpine. And when I was first kind of learning about the history of tourism in Door County and putting together a video, I was like, okay, let's go back to the very first lodging establishments. What were those like? And it was like, oh, go talk to Bill because he was part of one of the first lodging. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like to actually have that primary source for something that historical was incredible. And to hear him talk about the American plan, like, oh, where do people eat? Well, they ate at their hotel because that's what there was. And And you have idiots like us who are like, what do you mean? It's like, that's what they did. They came here, they stayed with us, and they literally just stayed with us. <laughs> yeah, we gave them everything that they needed and fed them and all of that stuff, and it was all part of the comprehensive plan, and back then it probably cost $10 a night, right? <laughs> uh, and that may even be on the high side of it. Right, so. yeah. That was luxury. Right. Moving on, Miles, with a, a paper as big as it was this week, you would think that there'd be some news in there, right? Did <laughs> anything bit. happen? No, nothing happened. We're all good. Well, uh, one one story that I wanted to check back in on, I can't remember if we ever like talked about the conclusion of the Quarry RV proposal, which we had talked about probably a dozen times a couple of years ago, uh, but that proposal ended, and now there's a new proposal for the same area, Correct. Yes, this just came out. Basically, the way it wound up with the RV park slash condominium proposal that had called for 118 units up there, which would have been about the largest condominium development we've ever seen here, that was denied. And I sort of, I think a lot of us thought that would go to some sort of appeals process and maybe to court eventually, but it didn't. The developers have come back with a new plan. Um, so far it doesn't really have a lot of details on exactly what the buildings would be. It's the same developers who proposed the RV park. Correct. But now it would be a subdivision. So all they've asked for now is to subdivide the, the quarry into 43 individual lots, which basically in talking to Mariah Good, the director of land use services down at the, um, at the County, she said that more or less that's a slam dunk. It's permitted. It's zoned recreational commercial. This is not a conditional use public hearing process. They'll take input, but basically as long as they meet all the ordinances and the standards set out in the zoning code for a recreational commercial use area, then the Resource Planning Commission all but has to approve it. Sure. Well, if it's a slam dunk for the commission, it's probably a slam dunk for residents and public opinion, correct? Absolutely not. <laughs> so the, the first proposal definitely had some controversy around it, uh, and people were very vocal about their opposition to it. Uh, have you heard anything on the street about this new proposal? Yes, there are um, kind of the same group is trying to round up some efforts to um, get some opposition to this, asking the RPC to deny it outright. But they from, in, from talking to Mariah Good, they really can't deny it outright. Because right now it's just subdividing it into lots, which is something people do up here all the time. People have a 20-acre lot, they, they divide it into smaller lots. They have 200 acres, they divide it into 1020s or something like that. Um, so that's not really something that comes into a lot of detail in terms of review. Now, if they come back with their proposal for the use for those lots, then that's when it would come up for 
uh, more in-depth review, you know, because then you'd start looking at what what was the sewer system that you're going to put in, what's the um, water source, that kind of thing. So, but as of right now, as a subdivision and creating all these lots, that's, they meet the ordinances, according to Mariah. Right. Well, we, we definitely know that the the opposition will need to print new signs because there's no RVs proposed for this, correct? Yeah, so more money going into yard signs. <laughs> right. Uh, is there anything else that folks need to know about this or, or just any other like brief news updates before we wrap up today, Miles? Uh, sure. I can't remember if we talked about it, but um, Rock Island is back open, supposed to be open today. Right. So after being closed all last summer, in part due to COVID and staffing issues, but uh, in larger part due to high water and inaccessibility at that pier and the, at the Rock Island Bowhouse, they have now dredged there and they can, the Carfee Ferry will now be running. So nice. you can go to Rock Island again. I have a weekend book to camp up there. So that that's great because it, it's one of those things I really missed last year is getting a chance to go over there. Yeah, they took the fence down and everything that they had installed to keep people out because you said it was closed, but it's an island. So it's <laughs> closed. The ferry didn't run. Yes. But, I'm uh, sure there are people who snuck onto the island by just pulling up to the beach. Right. Not the, that we, not that we endorse that or no, anything, no. but uh, good to hear that the fence is down. Yep. What else we have? I think we, we've covered the Maritime Tower opening last week. Door Hotel opened this week. They actually had the official ribbon cutting on Thursday. Uh, Sarah Lancaster, one of our new staff members went up there for that, got a tour of the hotel, um, they're taking their first official guests this weekend and you know, it's, it's a beautiful hotel to some it's big, big and tall. Some it's not, but that's now officially open. I think my favorite tidbit about the door hotel is that I learned from you and I guess you learned it from Sarah that if you hold down a button on your keyboard, it will pop up all of the different accents that you can put over it. Oh, sorry. You were like, how do I put the umlaut over the yeah. O in door hotel? And she was like, just hold down the keyboard, the key. And I was like, that can't be true because if you hold down the key, it'll just write the letter out a hundred times. Right. <laughs> and then I did. And I was like, it doesn't just do this. And then the accent menu popped up and I was like, I feel like I'm living in a different dimension because <laughs> I had no idea that that's how you did it. Yeah, I, I love when, after years, you find out stuff like that because I basically have just always left that up to our copy editor, Paula Applevock, to add that because I was just too lazy to figure it out. I probably would have looked it up or at least gone to their website and copy and pasted the name and then corrected <laughs> yeah, the formatting afterwards. One random note on the Door Hotel that I I only realized this week. I, I knew that like the Door Hotel essentially is a trade. The, the Helms Four Seasons Hotel used to be on the water, had about 40 units kind of sprawled over the waterfront area. The village bought that in 2007, tore it down to expand waterfront park, always with the hope that somebody would develop a hotel on the other side of the street. So they take the hotel away, get the waterfront, and now they get maybe two or three hotels on the other side. Well, um, the door is, I think we've, we branded it as the first hotel I was, I, I, in 20 years. I'm a little bit wrong on that. The Goose and Twigs Building Hotel, much smaller scale, but that was that opened a year or so ago, kind of been in the process of building at the same time. But it got me thinking about which ones have closed. And Sister Bay has actually lost a lot of hotel rooms in the last 20 years since the last, like the Scandinavian Lodge and Birchwood Lodge were the last two major hotels built in Sister Bay. In that time, they've now lost Little Sister Resort, Hotel de Nord, Helms, Bluffside, Patio. So at least five other hotels in Sister Bay has closed have closed just in those 20 years since the, the last hotel was built in Northern Door County. Um, just kind of an interesting fact. So that's like roughly a trade of 
100 rooms-ish, maybe more than that, lost. And then 47 now added with the Hotels in Oregon. And then Open Hearth also adding. Um, they're doing another edition that's almost complete right now. And they did 12 a couple of years ago. So only now is Sister Bay actually getting back to the number of hotel lodging units that they had 20 years ago. Interesting. You mentioned Goose and Twigs, and I thought that I would just also say that uh, I met with Gustavo over there, and they're launching their restaurant, Viver, this weekend oh. as well. And they're going to have breakfast, brunch, authentic Mexican food, frozen margaritas, all that kind of stuff. So <laughs> should be a cool place to stop and get brunch when you're up in Sister Bay. I think that that's probably going to do it for this week, Miles. Uh, there's a lot of stuff to do this weekend, and I don't want to yeah. hold anybody here longer <laughs> than they need to be because... There's live music, there's stuff to see in the parks, there's all sorts of stuff to do. So with that, thank you for chatting with me, Miles, and I look forward to chatting with you again too. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.